give a chance to get around? I did a question for you. Just out of curiosity, how many, raise your hand, say that you are a follower? More likely a follower. Okay. How many say that you're more likely a leader? Can, so we have more followers than leaders in here. <laughs> how many say they are both? Um, it's hard to describe, to say. Good, good. <laughs> Well, this, I'm definitely following the second, second category, the category of being more of a follower. I just, ever since I was a little girl, I've just been the follower that's kind of tagged along. I had a best friend growing up. Her name was Susie Plum. Her birthday was two days after my birthday. So we were just buddies and we were always together. And, um, and Susie had this amazing mind and, and creativity. And she would just think of all these extravagant things to do. I remember one time when she would, um, she said, okay, we're going to have uh, PZ Children's Theater, stood for Plum and Zimmerman, Children's Theater. And we're going to get all the neighborhood kids together. And we're going to put on a play. Then we're going to sell tickets. And then we're going to you know, put this big presentation on it. And we did it. And so we had, and we had lots of different plays. I mean, we would continue to do this. Or she would decide we were going to have the Bechtel Science Club, and we would go out and explore, you know, birds and sticks and whatever. But she was always the one that would lead me along, and I would just kind of follow and do whatever she said. And, and I noticed, even in my adult life, I've kind of been the same type of a person. I've always been the one that stood next to a best friend or my co-workers, and I've just been the encourager and the one that said, oh, Okay, but I'm not the one that wants to go out and just charge ahead and leave, leave, the, leave it. So it's kind of fun to kind of just look back over your life and see, okay, where have I kind of tracked? Well, this last summer, um, I was, as I was doing my devotion, I was thinking, I'm going to go back and kind of refresh this old brain on Joshua, or on the Old Testament. And at the same time, um, Patty said, okay, be thinking about what maybe you would be teaching in the year, because we're going to take the first semester and pick out characters. And it was such a fun way to read through. I started at the beginning, and as I came across a character, I had a little notebook next to it, and I would start writing, and, you know, Abraham, and then what kind of God pricked on my heart, what I thought was interesting about that character. And I kind of went through the other, all, you know, maybe some obscure name would pop up, and I'd think, oh, I wonder if that's the one I'm talking about. And it was just such a fun way to study, because you see the Bible from it. You're not just reading the storyline, you're getting into the actual characters. I don't know if you've enjoyed this semester so far, just just looking at specifically different characters. Well, um, I landed on Joshua, and as I went into Joshua, I I just thought, you know, this is this is what I, I really want to teach about. So very early on in June, I think I started thinking about this guy, Joshua. And what what kind of pricked my mind about it is I just kept thinking as I read through this amazing story of Moses, just this amazing character, and why he did not get to go into the promised land. And instead, it was Joshua. I don't know how much you know about Joshua. We all know there's a book called Joshua. And a lot of us know that, that he was the one that led the Israelite people into the promised land. As I was studying, I, I kind of, and I put one on your, on your tables, a, a timeline, because um, it just helped me kind of place things. And I think as we talk about different characters, you can maybe place them on this timeline of God's story, God's amazing revelation that he had to us. And, uh, and that helped me in the study of, of Joshua, what, when things happen and, and, and where they fit into God's story. 
So in order to study Joshua, however, we have to talk about his contemporary Moses because they lived at the same period in time. And um, the first section that I want to talk about is just how God had prepared Joshua, how God prepares also us. I want to make this very applicable and hopefully challenging for you guys to see that what God does in the life of a man, Joshua, in the year 1400 B.C., 1452 B.C., What he did back then, he does today in each one of us. We can read about these characters and and think, oh yeah, that's great for them, but it doesn't apply to me. But in actuality, what God did through the man Joshua, he can do through us in the same way. And that's kind of what I want to kind of continually look at. Okay, he did this with Joshua. What does it say to me today, thousands of years later? So, in order to study, we need to kind of look a little bit. We're going to do, I love what Megan did last week when she just kind of gave us a broad overview. And we're going to kind of do that a little bit. We're going to get up above everything, see the story, then drill, drill down into a passage and see what, what God's going to tell us in that particular area. So, first of all, turn, open your Bibles, and we're going to be in our Bible quite a bit today. So, look at Joshua, or Genesis, in the last verse, verses of Genesis chapter 50. So many of these things that I'm just going to touch on, you know these stories. I'm not going to, but it's just neat to see. So if you look at the very end of Genesis, in chapter, in verse 22, it says, it's talking about Joseph here, when all the Israelites landed in Egypt. It goes, Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all of his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth at Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, he said, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear on oath and said, God will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry my bones up from that place. So way back, saying, there's going to be a time when you're going to come out of this of, of Egypt, and I'm going to take you into the promised land. And we know jo- uh, Joshua's the one that does that. So turn your pages, turn to the beginning of Exodus, and immediately, we think it's the next day, but no, it's not the next day. It's 400 years later. And I, I thought that was interesting what Patty brought up the other time about John the Baptist, about this quiet time of the Lord, when, he, when the last prophet spoke, and then there was quiet and silence for 400 years until John the Baptist came. It's the same thing here. There's this 430 years that these Israelites are left in Egypt. And, and you don't hear anything in the Bible about what happened during that time. But we know that they developed from a small clan of 66 people into this huge, mighty mass of people. 1.2 to 2.2 million people. I know Megan last week was talking about that. They said they really don't know if there's 66,000 or 1.2 to 2.2 million. But as I studied that and looked at, the, at, at all the commentaries on it, 1.2 to 2.2 million is really what they believe. It's a huge mass of people that all of a sudden were pulled out of Egypt. And you can imagine the uproar that caused when that many people were pulled out. So, And that's what Moses did. We all know those stories of Moses. Well, where does jo- Joshua come in? Where does he come into the picture? 
We know that uh, that Moses was 40 years in, um, that he was in Egypt, and 40 years he went out to um, out into the wilderness, and then he was called back to take the people out of out of Egypt, and he did that when he was 80 years old. But Moses enters into the story. In chapter 7, or Joshua enters, I'm sorry, I'm going to do that all day long. <laughs> I always flip-flop names, but Joshua enters in the story in Exodus chapter 17. So let's look at that. So Moses had taken the people, and they had done all the, all, you know, all of the amazing things that happened when they, in order for them to leave Egypt. They had witnessed incredible things happening. They had witnessed the, 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 the Red Sea drying up as they walked across. They had witnessed all these things. Um, and all of the plagues that happened in order for them to be released from slavery. But it's been two and a half months. Not a long period of time. Two and a half months is when this story takes place. And it says here, we're going to read in the first verse of chapter 17. It says, The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? The people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horah. Horeb, strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So here it is, this first, only two and a half months after they had left from slavery, and they're grumbling and they're complaining, even after they've seen these amazing things. And... Um, all Moses has to do is go up and strike the rock twice with with his his rod, and the water poured out, and they and, it, and, and the people received the water. So then Joshua enters in the story in the next verse, and it says the Amalekites Amal- came and attacked the Israelites in Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, "Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the hill of uh, stand on top of the hill with a staff of God in my hands." Now, the reason that the Amalekites came in and attacked was because all of a sudden there's this huge mass of people, this 1.2 by 2.2 million people, coming in, and the Amalekites were also nomadic people, and they had needed their water source. And here was this huge mass of people coming in and taking the water. So this is the reason for the attack in the first place. And all of a sudden, Moses speaks up to Joshua. His name appears on the pages of God's story. I just think that's so fun. All of a sudden, this character appears. It's Joshua. And so Joshua says in verses, I'm sorry I'm having a hard time reading here. So Joshua fought the Malachites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. So in order, whenever Moses' hands were held up, they would, they would be fight, winning battle. But when they, when they weren't, they would be losing it. It goes on, on verse 13, it says, So Joshua overcame the Amalekites' army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I, am completely, I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. 
Well, what's the point of me going into all this, this, these details here? The, the fact is that it was only two and a half months since they had left. Joshua was a slave. And, and Moses orders him to, to go out and lead his people in this battle. And he obeys. He's just obedient right from the beginning. So that's the first thing I just noticed about Joshua. That he was an obedient warrior. He took an order and he went with it. You don't hear him grumbling. You don't hear him complaining like Moses did. Oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. You just hear that he obeyed. And he, he, he did what he was asked to do. Well, after three months, these Israelites end up at the, at the base of Mount Sinai. We all know this story about God, God's amazing thing that he does in Mount Sinai. But it's only three months that it took them to, get, to go. It's, I think what, what was constantly struck by was that, that we think of the 40 years that they were in Israel. But it, it, this, all this time frame was really close, that, that God had a plan for them to move quickly into their promised land. He didn't want it to be the 40 years that it ended up being. And I think that's important to know. And why, why, why did they? Why were they delayed? So after a few months, they were ended up at Mount Sinai, um, and um, I just <laughs> at this point, um, Moses then is going to speak with God. And I, I have to read this verse, these verses in Exodus 19 about the amazing thing when God came and speak. I think it, it just. Um, So we're going to look at chapter 19, verses 16. And it says here, this this is three months, and then the third day after they arrived. So it's three months and three days after they had left Egypt. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. I don't know when I read that. I don't know what what you're thinking, but I was thinking, oh my gosh, that's when the Lord comes back, there's going to be this amazing trumpet blast. I just love how this kind of goes back and forth. Everyone in the camp trembled. It was such an awesome thing that they were trembling when God's presence was coming down on this mountain. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. Now Moses goes up and down this mountain several times. I know if you've watched the Ten Commandments, it's like he goes up, he gets the tablets, and then he's done. But in this, it's an 11-month period of time, and he's going up and down this mountain. And there's one really interesting thing that I wanted you to look at. And look at, um, in verse 19, uh, let me see if I can find it. Get back with my notes here. So he's going up and down the mountains. It's not till um, verse 32, or chapter 32. Go all the way to 32. This is all the time that Moses is going up and down the mountain. We're looking in Exodus. He's going up and he's down. He's getting all these, the laws. He's getting what, how to purify yourself. And let's... going to make sure I got what I'm looking for here. 15 through 17 is what I think I'm looking for. Um, nope, that's not it. Hmm. 
Oh, gosh, I'm sorry. I'm kind of confused here, but I've got it somewhere in here. Okay, go back. 24. Exodus 24. Sorry, went a little far here. I thought this was really cool. On, in chapter 24, verses 12 through 18. So Moses is going up and down in this amazing mountain. Remember, God's presence is there. And it says, The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commands I've written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide. And Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. So Moses didn't go up there alone. He went up there with Ma, with Joshua, his aide. I just found these things these 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 things so interesting. Um, so that's the second point. Joshua walked alongside, and he was close to Moses. Or Joshua was Moses's aide. I think he wasn't necessarily a leader at that point. He was just his aide. He walked. Then now go to chapter thirty-two. Pardon. Oh, the Lord saves. I'm sorry. Yeah, that fill in the bank blank there. The Lord saves. So the third time where we hear Joshua, it's in verse in chapter 32. And that's in verse 15 through 72. So they're up there on the mountain. And all the ruckus happens. We know about the idol they made, the golden calf they made because they didn't come down for 40 days and 40 nights. And so they're walking back down the mountain. And in chapter 32, we hear Joshua's again. And look in verse 15. It says, Moses turned and went down the mountain. And the two tablets of of the testimony were in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. Then when, when Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, There is the sound of war in the camp. And Moses replied, It is not the sound of victory. It is not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. And so they approached the camp. And I think what, what, is in, what I thought was interesting about that is that they're walking side by side. They're just like intimate friends. Joshua and Moses are just these buddies. that are, He's having this conversation with them as he's walking down the, down the road. So it shows how close that Joshua was to Moses. Joshua walked alongside and was close to Moses is what um, I learned from that. But what I really warmed my heart to Joshua happened in the next chapter. And um, it's, re- it's what, what I thought was just really, really interesting. After God was infuriated with his people for making the golden calf, he, Moses had to negotiate with, with um God about not destroying all these wicked people. I mean, it's just an interesting conversation if you read about it. It's just fascinating to see how Moses had this this kind of a um, conversation with God about so don't destroy him. But God was so infuriated he didn't want to be in their presence, and he wanted to be. So this tent of meeting was set outside of the camp so that um, Moses could meet with God. And we're going to look at that in verse thirty in chapter thirty three, verse seven. And it talks about Moses setting this tent of meeting where God's presence was. It says, Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp, some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. 
As Moses went into his tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. But his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Now I look for commentary on that because I, I was fascinated by that. Here was Moses. They talk about him seeing God face to face. But um, they don't say any, anything about Joshua. What did he get to experience? He was right there with Moses. He was in that tent. I don't know if he heard God. I don't know what we're to surmise about that. Other than the fact that he loved being close to the presence of God. Moses went back. But Joshua wanted to stay in the tent. He wanted to stay close to God. I just found that um, just so interesting. So they're filling there as Joshua wanted to stay close to God's presence. Well, this is all really very interesting. But how does it apply to me? And this is what I, I, where I want you guys to get, to get involved in this. God is preparing Moses, or Joshua... God is preparing Joshua for a time when he's going to really use him. And I think God does the same thing with us today. He's preparing us for, for something. And so I, I put together um, some questions for you to go around your table. to kind of. I want you to think about it for a minute. I, this lesson, I hope, is a little bit challenging for you. This is what God laid on my heart to say to you today. So I want you to be challenged by this and kind of look at some of these questions. And I've got several questions here, but I only want you to pick the one that maybe applies to you most. And the questions are, what do you see God doing in your life right now? What do you see him doing? Have you been paying attention to what you think God is doing in your life? Tell about that to your table. Or maybe this one hits you better. Where is he making you more sensitive to others? Where is he nudging you? Where is he breaking your heart? Maybe he's been saying to you right now, you know, just giving you a really softness for certain people, somebody in your life or somebody that's hurting. So where is he making more sensitive? How has he gifted you? Maybe you just want to say, you know, I think I'm really gifted in this area. I think God wants to use that. And the next question, how, is, how do you see God preparing you? Maybe you already have something in mind, and you're thinking, this is what I'm thinking God wants me to do. Or who has been a strong influence? If nothing, this doesn't apply to you. Maybe who has been a strong influence in your life, or a model in your life, um, that you're walking along right side, that you're watching? So go ahead and just pick one of those. I know there's a lot to think about there, but just one that hit you and, and discuss that for a little bit. Well, I hope I gave you enough time to just get started at that. It's a big, big question. I think we always are asking that question. If we're a follower of Jesus Christ, we're always saying, okay, Lord, how can you use me? How are you preparing me for something more? What are you doing in my life? Why are we here on this earth? These are big questions. These aren't little tiny questions. But I think the more that we're just sensitive to what, how God has prepared us in our past, we can see what he wants to do to us going forward. Um, so the first part of Joshua's life, would you see, he was preparing. He's walking alongside this Moses guy. Um, but then there becomes a pivotal, pivotal moment in his life. And I think that happens in all of our lives. There's things that happen that crash in on us. Life crashes in. Or we have to make a decision. Or something happens where we, um, we have to either step up or speak up or do something. And this happened to Joshua. 
we're going to look at, and we're going to go into the book of Numbers now. This, this all is the same time frame. Even though there's so many periods here, we're going to go to chapter 17 and 18 in Numbers. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of chapters here, a lot of reading here, but it's still just a short period of time. It's just um, the, the 11 months that they sat there at Mount Sinai where they got the messages. You don't have to turn to this, but I'm just going to read this as a time frame. In Numbers 1.1, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of meeting in the desert of Sinai on the first day of the second month of the second year after the Israelites came out of Egypt. So it places it. It's so specific. It's only been two years in that second month. And so they have to be numbered. They, they get all numbered and then they move out. They're going to move out. And they travel and it's about three, uh, just a, a, another month long later that they end up here right at the lower border of, of Canaan. Right looking at the promised land that God had taken them in, or was, 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 had promised them that he would take them in. Not a long period of time. They get all the way, that we get there. I think we have in this mind that, that, it's, that they were supposed to wander, but it's just short. God's intention was for them to just take them out of, that, out of Egypt and walk into the promised land. That's what the, he, had, he had promised them. So in chapter 17, or what did I say, uh, 13... To say it's not written here. Chapter 13. Moses gets some scouts ready to go out and look at the promised land. I think you all know these stories. These are kind of just references, but he's getting he's gonna send out these scouts into the to check out what he what he assumes is gonna come back as his favorable report. That they're gonna it's gonna look just like God said, it's filled with milk and honey, and we're gonna overtake them. So he sends out the scouts. So in verse 1 of chapter 13, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of the, one of the leaders. Um, and then in verse 8, it's, it's listing the leaders. And a lot of times we read over these names and we don't think anything about it. But look at in verse 8, it says, From the tribe of Ephraim, Hosea, son of Nun, was chosen. Well, who's this Hosea? We keep reading... Over in chapter, verse 16, it says, These are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. Moses gave Hosea, son of Nun, the name Joshua. So here we hear, Joshua is one of those chosen that are to go into the, into the promised land and to scout it out, come back with the report, see what it's all about. So, um, following down in, in verse 25, I believe, it, it says... Um, and the scouts are coming back now. It says, at the end of the 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community in Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But, now when you ever see a but, you got to take notice. But... The people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. So there's this huge uproar with the people. All of a sudden, they, they, they're there, they're out of Egypt, they've gone through all this, this trial, and they're ready to walk into the promised land, and now they're saying, we can't do it. 
there's no way we can do it. Well, first Caleb steps up and he silences the people and says, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. Well, then a night passes and the people, they're they're still out there spreading around this bad report. We can't do it. We can't do it. And the people are getting just absolutely furious. Um, And then we go over to chapter 14, verses 5, I think. I can barely see. (laughs) Then Moses and Aaron, so it's talking about... um, um, they, they're already to, to stone um, Moses and Aaron. They're so upset. Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathering there. So here Moses and Aaron, are they're, they're prostrate in front of this whole gathering. Joshua, however, son of Nun, notice he's listed first here, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, they tore their clothes and they said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land and a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will surely give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Joshua's character just screams out on the passages of scripture here. He has got everybody against him right now, but he is willing to step forward and say, we can do it. We have the Lord on our side. It's a pivotal moment for him to, to, to either be, just go along with what everybody else says. We can't do it. We can't do it. We can't do it. Or to say, no, God has promised us. I think a little bit of it goes back to that preparation time. He was the one that went up that mountain to see God. He was the one that stayed in the tent of meeting. He was close to what God was, had, had, was, was saying to Moses. He has this perspective of knowing what God is all about. And so he was able to stand when things got really shaky. So in, in these two chapters we learn that Joshua spoke out to go when everyone else said no. It was a pivotal time in Israel's history history, when Joshua believed God. He put his trust in God, not in man. So he was this man of uncompromising just trust in God. First chapter we saw him obedient, but now we see him just really having a lot of belief. He believed God strongly. Got a couple questions for you again to look at, or one question really, it's all in one question. Ask yourself, go around the table and see, are you one that firmly stands and believes God when things get really, get really test, when things are not going according to the way you plan, when life gets really difficult. Are you one that's going to stand up, or are you one that that uh, maybe shirks back a little bit? Um, and along with that, is there ever a time in your life when when you learn to trust God more than? Um, did, did God put a hard situation in your life where you really learn to believe Him, to trust in Him? So. Answer those two questions kind of combining at your tables. Well, I'd be interested to hear what some of you said about you, are you one that easily believes God or do you doubt when things get really difficult? I think it's easy to mentally think that we believe God when things get difficult, but do we? But to really go out and actively say, God is on my side... He's going to take care of me during our, our hard times of trial and testing. 
Um, he's there that's going to be there. I think it's a harder thing to actually do that than to intellectually just know it and say that we want to do that. But Joshua was a man of integrity, and he believed God in the face of all these these masses of people that they would have to overcome. He believed God would take him into the promised land. And that, that encourages me. God then, as we know, because the people did not believe, they were, they were in the desert for 40 years. But Joshua and Caleb were allowed to go out of, um, out of the, the, de- the desert because they were the two that stood up, um, along with all of the ancestors of all those, uh, those men. Uh, but the, of the, old, the adults, 20 years and older, all of them had to die in the desert because of their lack of belief. They did not believe God in their time of testing. <clears throat> I know um, one time in my life when I was at a really low, hard time, and when I knew, I just knew it was a pivotal time in my life to make a decision to, to go or versus stay. Um, I was a young, uh, a younger mom. <laughs> I was a mom of a teenager, and I had a daughter that was rebellious, and she was just. She just wasn't acting the way I wanted her to do. I was a very com- compliant child, and I had this belief in my own mind that, you know, if you, um, I, I loved my mom and dad, I wouldn't do anything to to do go against their ways. And I just felt, well, that would be the way my children would be too. They would love me, and they would just follow along with whatever I said. Well, since I was such a naive mom, that, as you all know, doesn't necessarily be the case. And so, my oldest daughter, Amy, was at that age, sophomore in high school, and just not going the way I wanted. I remember myself curled up in a little ball in a yellow chair that I held in my um, great room at the time with the sun beating down, and I was sobbing, sobbing to um, the Lord, what am I going to do? I can't raise this child alone. I can't do this. I mean, I was just distraught. And it was a prayer. I remember I was in Bible study fellowship at the time, and I was really deeply in the Word, and I was praying a lot, and I I just, I, I just knew I had to turn to God. There was no place else to go. I was just so um, upset about it. And as I was praying and crying and sobbing out to the Lord, I got a phone call. And that phone call was from a friend, and it turned out to be the sister of my, the, uh, Susie Plum, my friend, that I told you about earlier. It was her sister, her younger sister. And they were starting up a new ministry called Young Life in the Quad Cities. I knew nothing about Young Life in the Quad Cities, but I knew, I knew without a doubt that that phone call wasn't an answer to my prayer. I just knew it. I, I had this sense. I never had had this sense of before, but this was something that I just knew was God's answer to my prayer on this phone call. And so I did get involved with Young Life, and I had, as I kept going, I was just amazed at how it was so perfectly answering my prayer before. I didn't know it, but just blindly stepping out and getting involved in this ministry, it, 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 and I could see how this was God's answer for me. It was God's call, because I went to him, asked, and he provided an answer for me. It was one of my defining moments of one of, of many that I've had since then, but, but I learned a lot about just being obedient and going and stepping out when I had absolutely no idea. I didn't have any idea if I could handle it or what I could do about it, but I just felt I needed to be in, um, obedient. Well, we're studying about the Old Testament, way back in the Old Testament. Um, why do we study that today? And I want to um, just pick up a passage in, that Paul says, and we're going to go to 1 Corinthians and if you're tired of turning from pages to pages, I'm going to read it to you so you don't have to. 1 Corinthians 10. I know we're in the Word a lot today, but um, I don't know. 
just what I like to do. First, yeah, all right, love it. All right. First Corinthians 10. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. And this is what Paul has to say about what we're studying today. He says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our forefathers were all about under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. So he's talking exactly about the period that we're studying today. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. I think that's interesting. We heard about him striking that rock. He says that spiritual rock was Christ. He was right there in their midst. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. So we read these things as examples. Look down in verse 11. Again, he reiterates that. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. Just reading that, 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 those words, on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. That fulfillment has come in our age. We get to see the, the, the fulfillment. They didn't have that back then. We have the fulfillment of the ages with Christ, Christ's resurrection and the time that we live in. But we still need to go back and look at what, what happened back then, to them, back then to them when they were disobedient and didn't obey and didn't believe God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed. I just thought that was interesting. So now we're um, looking at, at Joshua in um, the time that we most of us know about when he actually stepped into um, his, the promised land with the believers. We're going to look at Numbers 27. Flip back. Those of you that love flipping back and forth, flip back. <laughs> And we look at verse 12, and this is the end of Moses' life. Forty years now have passed. And this always kind of breaks my heart when I read this. I think it's, it's sort of, it's, it's just sort of sad. <laughs> then the Lord said to Moses, go up this mountain in the Arabim range and see the land I have given the Israelites. After you have seen it, you too will be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was. Aaron had already died. For when the community rebelled at the waters in the desert of Zin... Both of you disobeyed my command to honor me as holy before their eyes. These were the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the desert of Zin. Moses said to the Lord, and this is a time when Moses um, did, wasn't obedient, and I'm not going to go into that, um, but this is why Moses didn't get to take them into the promised land. You can look that up in, in uh, Numbers 20. Moses said to the Lord, May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all mankind, appoint a man over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in, so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay your hands on him. Have him send, stand before Eliezer the priest and the entire assembly, and commission him in their presence. Give him some of your authority, so the whole Israelite community will obey him. 
he is to stand before Eliezer the priest, who will obtain the decisions for him by inquiring of the Urim before the Lord. All his command, he and the at his command, he and his, the entire community of the Israelites will go out, and at his command they will come in. Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua, and he had him stand before Eliezer the priest and the whole assembly. Then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him, as the Lord instructed through Moses. So here he is commissioned now Joshua to take over. Joshua's been by his side this whole time. And, and Joshua also has seen Moses and is a friend and his com- he's um, and I think what did he how did he feel about the fact that that Moses wasn't going to accompany him in he's on his own now he's stepping out from behind his great mentor his great leader and he has to do this alone without this man that he's walked side by side with all these years for his entire life and he's an older man too he's not a young chickadee like he used to be he's, he's an older guy I wonder if there's ever been a time in your life when you prepared for some kind of ministry, you worked on it, or you, but you were, and there might be just one or two a year at the table this applies to, so we won't talk a lot about this, but is there ever a time when you weren't allowed to do something that you felt you should have been allowed to do it? That you, you kind of, someone else stepped in and, and got to the glory or whatever. Um, I think a lot of times I think of, of parenting. So many times, especially if you have a stray child or one that doesn't believe in the Lord, you want to be the one that leads them to the Lord. But someone else is going to step in. Has there ever been a time like that in your life where you weren't allowed to, 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 to finish the job that you started? Just share for a few minutes on that. All right. So now we've seen where Joshua has faithfully served Moses and God for all these years now, and it's his turn to uh, to, to step out, step out into, into his promised land, and how well he knows his his name. The Lord is salvation. Um, everybody, all of his contemporaries, except for Caleb, have died in that desert, and he's all on his own. Um, and now Moses was dead, and Moses wasn't there for to be with him. Um, but God has appointed Joshua now to take that mantle to lead those children of Israel into that promised land. last place we're going to turn is we're going to look at Joshua 1. And this is where it, uh, the verse that's at the top of your lesson is. comes in. This is, we're going to go to chapter 1, verse 1. Got a couple more chapters there that's still in the lifetime of, of Moses and Joshua. In, in chapter 1, verse 1 of, jo- of Joshua. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid. Now the Lord said to Joshua, I love that. I underline that in my Bible. The son of Nun, he's still known as Moses' aid. I also love that. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to the Lebanon, and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life, as I was with Moses. So I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. 
because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. I think he wants them to be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all the law. Here's some warnings here. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. And then he says, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. (laughs) Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. I love that he says that. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I'm sure he loved hearing those words. Those words of encouragement at this time. And he's stepping out into an area that he has no idea what's in front of him. And I think we need to to hear those words today. When we step out in areas that we don't know what's in front of us. In it, there are three, two promises. The guarantee of success. And also that the Lord will be with him. But in it also are three commands that I think are the same today as they were back then. And that's be strong and courageous. He stated them three times. I think that's one of the most important things. Obey unswervingly the law. And that's another thing I think we need to kind of remember today to do obey. When we hear God's call on our lives, we need to obey and meditate on the law. I think that the third one there is in order for us to understand, to hear what God is going to say to us, to to understand what he's calling us to, we have to meditate on the law. Today we live in a different time and a completely different place than what um, Joshua lived in back then. But God is the same today. He asks the same things of us. He wants us to be strong. He wants us to be courageous. He wants us to obey unswervingly and to know when to obey by listening to his voice. Um, It's not different then as it is, or today as it was back then. And we too can have great success in our eyes, in his eyes, when we, we obey these things. So I called to do this lesson and um, because I, I look over, and every time I've done a lesson, not a whole lot of them, but I look over this group of women and I think you are an amazing group of women. And I just think what amazing things we can do as a group of women together. I just think it's, um, uh, it just challenges me to, to think about all that, that we can do if we all are listening to God and doing what he is calling each one of us to do. But at the same time, as I look and say these words, I'm absolutely humbled because as I've gotten to know some of you and some of your stories, I'm amazed at what you are doing for God. I'm, you're out there um, working with the incarcerated. You're, you're working with the homeless. You're volunteering here at the church. You're raising your children in godly homes. You're speaking out to your grandchildren. You're doing amazing things. You're, I heard of a, one of us in this group that I, I'm just so proud of her has asked teenagers to come into her house to play with, to play with her kids, and at the same time then she puts together a lesson for them. I, I just, it's that, that just really encourages me to hear that. And for those of you that are doing that, I think all I'm saying for you today is be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified, as, as these words say. Do not be discouraged. I know when we're in the battle that we can be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Um, but for some of us, you're more like me. And you need an extra maybe push or shove or kick to, to just go where God has been calling you to go. This summer, um, that happened to me. I, I Every 
every summer that I'd lived in the house that I'd lived in, and I'd come down my street, and I'd see my neighbor's houses, and I'd think, you know, I really want to start a Bible study with my neighbors. And I never did that. Um, I happened to mention that to my accountability group, and so they kind of said, well, why don't you? And I was encouraged, and they pushed me into it. And so I mean, to, to actually have a Bible study this summer with these groups. Now, to a lot of you, that may seem like no big deal. But for me, it's huge because these women are intimidating. They're very powerful women. They're, I didn't know how they would react to it. Um, I love them. They're, they're, they're lovely ladies. They're not anything. But, but I just know sticking this envelope in their um, mailbox to ask them to come to a Bible study. And I don't know them very well. I had no idea what they were, would do with that. And it was just so intimidating for me. But I did that and um, with encouragement of my friends. And because God, I kept nudging me on this same thing. He kept pounding me over the head about doing it. Now, I'd like to stand up here and tell you that, oh, it was an amazing summer. And um, several of them came to the Lord. And it was just, just incredible. And that was not the case. In fact, every, every Wednesday when I did it, at the same time as, as Heartstrings, I was all nervous about it. And, oh, my gosh. But it was, it was wonderful. And um, it was great just to, to, to know that I just obeyed this nudge that God had kept placing in my heart. It just gave me great satisfaction to know that. At the same time, there was a couple of weeks nobody showed up. And um, the only success that I could feel then was that I was obedient. I did what God asked me to do. And so maybe you're like that. Maybe you're one of these people that just needs that extra nudge. And that's what I'm here to say for you today. Um, just to, um, to think about what God may be calling you to do um, and where he may be nudging you. Our final question today is for us to think about how what is our maybe our promised land. Um, you may sit there and think, oh, I'm not equipped, I'm too old, um, I'm not the leader type. And I'm not talking about big leaders that are going out there and starting huge ministries. I know some of you have done that, and that is an amazing thing. It's, but I'm just ta- talking about, are you being obedient to what God is calling you to do to be more for Him in this age that we live in? Um, I've got... Again, multiple questions, because I think we're at it all at a different place. And so I want you to, again, kind of talk about your place where you are. Um, is it a time, are you in a time of your life that, um, to step out from the shadow of your mentor or your leader and step out into your promised land? And if so, where might that be? And where do you think God wants to use you more? Or maybe you're one who is mentoring or influencing someone else in your life. You're just, you're just walking side by side by some, to someone who are you going to pass the torch on to life? How can you be even more intentional about that as the day draws near? You may be doing that already, but see that as God's ministry in your life. See that as God has placed you in, the, in that person's life for a reason. Whatever, Whoever that may be, your friend that's hurting, your granddaughter, your children. Or maybe God had you right where you are right now, and you need to share with your table what he's already doing. I put a note here, this isn't gloating or puffing yourself up. This is the time to let those at your table be encouraged encouraged by what you or God is already doing in your life and so that they can pray for you more. So if you're doing something, you feel really like God is working in your life right now, share that. And the last one is that maybe you're in a place of pain or struggle, and I've been here, when all you need is just you want to be close to God and um, when you're when God is saying to you, come to me, all of you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. You're in place of, of just waiting and listening to God. Tell your table about that.
Go ahead. Well, I want to conclude today. We've been in the Old Testament a whole lot, and we've I've pricked a lot of your. Um, I, I just wanted to end today with some of um, our Lord's words. I want to say what 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 um, Jesus said to his disciples at the end of his life. It happens in Luke ten. You don't have to turn to it, but it's where Jesus then sends out the seventy-two. And he says, For this the Lord appointed seventy-two others and sent them out two by two. Ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go, he told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. And so here's Jesus doing just what, what, what he's asking each one of us to do today. To go out. And do whatever it is that he's asking us to do. But then they return. And they're just full of joy. And they're so excited. And they, the 72 in verse 17 returned with joy. And they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. But this is what Jesus says back to them. And I think this is really interesting. He said, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's kind of a confusing sentence. But what he's saying is here, he's seeing that this is the world of Satan here on earth. And he's seen Satan being defeated when they went out in, and, and were speaking in his name. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. He's given us that same authority to trample all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice. And this is the however. I love this is the reason I bring this up. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. That's not what we're supposed to get all excited about. He says, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. It's not about the service that we do for God. It's about what God is going to do for us. It's just being rightly related with him. Being in the place where he wants to, he's going to use us no matter what. As long as we're doing what we need to do. As long as we are in prayer. As long as we are in his word. As long as we're looking out there for the opportunities to to do whatever we can to be his hands and feet. He's going to use us no matter what if we are in that place. It's not about all that, um, that, um, that we do, but about what he does through us. Um... I've given you um, a couple little lessons here, or a couple um, things, suggestions, if you want to do further study, obviously. You could read the book of Joshua, if you have a little extra spare time. <laughs> but I also gave you this timeline, and I just think this is fun to do sometimes, to look at your, your little timeline. We're just a little speck here on, on God's amazing, long spectacle of, of the story of God. We are just this little speck. So how do we fit into that? Take some time at some point and, and just look, okay, what has he done? What are some of the markers in my life? And what is he showing me to do? And think of yourself as this, this Joshua in your, our own time frame. What is it that he's calling you to do? Um, I'm going to just close today in prayer. Father, I, um, oh, I thank you so much for your word, how you teach us so much through it. And some, even in this Old Testament where we think, oh, 
how does that apply to me? You, you have just wealth of information for us to, to grasp onto. Lord, I just pray you place in the hearts of every single woman in this, this room that love for your word, to want to seek out your voice, to hear what you are saying to each one of us today, and then to, to step out and obey and do what it is you're calling us to do. Lord, this land that we live in right now is so filled with um, things that are hard. Satan's actively working in our world, and so it's so scary. But you, your, your words echo, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Continue on. Those words are true today as they were when they were written years ago. So I ask, Lord, that you be with us, that you um, work in our lives. And may we do, whatever we do, may it be to your glory, Lord Jesus, and not to anything that we do on our own. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, ladies.